This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Rachel Bade reports for the Washington Post on Capitol Hill, spends a lot of time in Congress, and lately she's been getting frustrated hearing how some pundits like to talk about Nancy Pelosi and impeachment. Every time there's a new person that comes out in support of impeachment, and we even saw it last night, people freak out and say, oh my gosh, more Democrats are supporting impeachment. Does this mean they're inching toward it? Is she, Nancy Pelosi, feeling pressure? And it's by people who don't really either know Pelosi or don't really know how the caucus works. Because... You know, for my reporting, even if a majority of the Democrats support it, she's unlikely to change her mind from my understanding and talking to people who are very close with her. There's this one story that really stuck with Rachel about what happened when Pelosi's caucus tried to outmaneuver her last month. The president had just blocked White House lawyer Don McGahn from testifying in front of the House Judiciary Committee. And for Jerry Nadler... This was a real breaking point. He'd gone so far as to make a pact with other members of his committee. If McGahn doesn't show, we'll call for impeachment. And Pelosi sort of saw the writing on the wall that people were about to make a big public push for this. And she sent either notes or sort of buttonholed other top leaders and were like, we need to have a meeting with Jerry Nadler right now, tonight. And so she summoned Jerry Nadler, who's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, to a meeting in her office. I think it was like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, and basically confronted him and had all of her fellow leaders sort of gang up on him, like a six-on-one sort of meeting where Jerry Nadler was arguing for the merits of impeachment and how it would help his investigation And Pelosi and everyone else in the room was telling him it was a lousy idea. Did she literally go around the room and be like, you know, you make the argument against it, you make the argument against it, and then sort of look at Nadler like, what you got? So from my understanding is she doesn't tell people that what they have to say, but like they know. And everybody in the senior leadership is on the tank team on this. So like Pelosi didn't have to convince Hoyer to tell Jerry Nadler this was a bad idea. And I was there in the hallway to grab him, wondering if, you know, how it went, what happened. And he wouldn't say anything about the meeting. But the main thing was he came out and he didn't endorse an impeachment inquiry the same way that his Judiciary Committee members had done you know, just hours before and would continue to do the next day. He held back. A few days later, Nadler showed up on CNN, where Wolf Blitzer really pushed him on this idea. Why not impeach the president right now? Mr. Chairman, why not open a formal inquiry? As I said, it may come to that. But but why not now? What's the problem? He twisted, he squirmed, but Nadler refused to call Pelosi out. Well, right now there doesn't appear to be the support for it. In, in your in your committee or in the in among the Democrats in the whole well, I'm not, I'm not going to get into that, but uh, there, there does not appear to be the support for it now. 
Even the people who are supporting impeachment, they're not pushing for it. They're not pushing her. They're not criticizing her. They're not whipping for it. And this is all because they don't want to go up against her. And she says no. So that's sort of the dynamic that people don't understand. One of the things I was trying to answer last week was, say Mueller comes in in July and there's just like dozens more who join this movement and it becomes a majority of the House Democrats. Um, Will she change her position? And the answer I got was no. One person very close to Pelosi told me that even if she is the last person standing, the last House Democrat standing on impeachment, she's going to fight not to do it. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Today on the show, Nancy Pelosi holds the line. Rachel's going to tell me how the Speaker of the House got to this moment, staving off impeachment proceedings, no matter how many caucus members want them. Democrats might be serious about holding Trump accountable, but they're more serious about something else, their own political fortunes. I'm Mary Harris. You are listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to really understand this equivocation and this back and forth where some members really believe in impeachment, but they don't feel empowered to express that. My first question is just, what are they scared of here? Well, I do think that there are a lot of members who are unsure about what is the right path. And you have some who feel like they have a constitutional duty and they're worried about how history will judge the House Democrats if they do nothing to stand up to Trump in terms of impeaching him. But then there are others who worry that if they impeach the president and it does have sort of a whiplash effect or blowback, like Pelosi is concerned about, that it will help Trump get reelected. And that means four more years of, you know, very partisan, divisive sort of bickering, and that it would be bad for the country, in their view, to have Trump reelected, that that is the, the most undesirable outcome. And so they don't want to do that. But then it sounds like in the middle of all that, you have Nancy Pelosi, who has her thumb on the scale. That's right. She has made very clear where she stands on this. Meeting after meeting, she talks about how Democrats need to continue investigating the president. And she always says, you know, Trump wants us to impeach him. She says this over and over again to try to tell people, let's not fall into this trap. She sees it as a trap. And the Democratic caucus, they look at Pelosi and they listen. They really respect her or they're, you know, worried about going up against her. And so a lot of them sort of have fallen in line. And even the ones who have not, like like I said before, they're very careful about their language. They don't criticize her. They don't work against her to try to get the impeachment started. They just sort of go out there and express themselves and leave it at that. You've said this a couple of times that people don't want to cross her. 
Can you tell me why? Like, can you tell me a story of what she's done that makes people scared? So there's a couple of instances that people still talk about, Democrats who have been around for longer than a decade. They still talk about the run-in she had with John Dingell, who was the chairman of the Oversight Committee a long time ago. He basically disagreed with Pelosi on a lot of policy issues and did his own thing. And Pelosi, during a redistricting one year, tried to get him out. She backed somebody else against him when he ran against another Democrat. He won. And so when he came back, she basically gave the green light to one of her top allies to take him out as chairman. And she won. Her ally, Henry Waxman, took his gavel. There was another instance with a woman named Jane Harmon, who was a fellow California Democrat. They just never got along. And when Democrats took back the majority, when Bush was in the White House, Jane Harmon was set to become the Intelligence Committee chair. And she made a very big public push for the the committee gavel. And Pelosi didn't like that and ended up nominating somebody else from the caucus who was sort of a lower level backbencher who a lot of people were like, why would she pick this person? But again, a lot of people sort of chalked it up to her having these differences with Jane Harmon. But the most recent example actually happened in January. After the 2018 election, Pelosi actually had a moment of vulnerability where a lot of people watching weren't sure if she was going to be speaker again, if she would get the 218 Democratic votes to become speaker again. Right, because there were a lot of younger people in the caucus. You had a lot of new voices. Right. Actually, but (laughs) that's another story. It wasn't actually the new it was the it wasn't actually the new voices who came for her. It was was the middle of the road. Yeah. The people who had been here for a long time who thought they just needed new leadership. So they tried to band together to take her out. And she had to sort of suffer through two months of embarrassing headlines about is Nancy Pelosi going to be speaker? Can she do it? She's been around too long. They need, you know, fresh leadership. And she eventually picked them off one by one, either by, you know, having their donors lobby them. She would go to different groups and seek endorsements. And then on the rebels who actually said they weren't going to vote for her, she would offer them things like votes on their prized bills or potentially committee assignments. And she would pick them off one at a time. But the thing everybody remembers is that she actually came for revenge a couple of weeks later and kept some of these rebels from getting prime committee posts that they were supposed to have. The one everybody talks about is Kathleen Rice, who is a Democrat from New York. She was supposed to be on Judiciary Committee. Everybody thought that she was going to be. She's a former prosecutor. It was pretty much lined up and in the bag. And all of a sudden, during that meeting, when they were picking people for the committee, Pelosi swept in and totally upended it all and named a freshman, a new freshman, much younger than Kathleen Rice, in terms of congressional experience, to this position that Kathleen Rice was supposed to get. And people see that and they say, oh, wow, she's got a lot of power. She's not afraid to use it. So they think twice about going up against her. It feels a little bit like putting people's heads on spikes on London Bridge to me. Maybe, maybe not. I will say that Pelosi's team they push back on this narrative that she's willing to enact revenge. They say it's more because people respect her than anything else. So it's not like she's out there saying, look, this is what I did to people who went up against me. And in fact, you know, they try to sort of downplay that. But there's definitely key moments that people remember. And that was one of them. What she did with Kathleen Rice was one of them. And that 
makes people sort of think about how a decision is going to affect their own future when they're trying to get various committee assignments or a committee gavel. They need Pelosi at their back to be successful a lot of times. I was struck by something else when you talked about Nancy Pelosi's style of how she convinces folks to, for instance, on the question of impeachment, you know, not come forward and not press for something that they may believe in very much and their constituents might believe in. You said how she doesn't need to say what you should say in the room. She doesn't need to tell people how to behave. And it just reminded me so much of Michael Cohen's testimony about Donald Trump and how he doesn't need to say what he wants you to do. (laughs) You just do it. And it struck me that they operate in sort of similar ways. That's, you know, it's an interesting thought. I've heard a number of people sort of make a similar observation, which is that in both parties right now, the power is very, very centralized at the top. The decision making when it comes to Trump, the Republican Party doesn't push back on him. And Pelosi is similar. Not, I wouldn't say nearly to that extent. But I do think that a lot of Democrats, they sort of see that she's been victorious so many times. She put down this rebellion against her in the fall of 2018. She came out of the shutdown fight in January looking incredibly powerful and sort of sticking it to Trump. A lot of people respect her for that. And so I do think there is a lot of deference that is given to her because of how long she has led the caucus and the recent victories she has had since 2018 that people say, oh, she must know something and I'm going to follow along with that. Privately, I've talked to Democrats who hate that. But again, these people are saying this Privately, they're not saying it publicly. And that, again, just speaks to the authority she wields. Hmm. One thing I'll say, Nancy Pelosi does seem better at her job than the Republicans who came before her. I wonder if you can compare how she leads her caucus versus how the Republicans did it. Oh, my gosh. It's like day and night. I covered Ryan for years and the Republican majority operated on like was a totally different thing. People were not afraid to criticize Ryan. They were not afraid to even suggest that, oh, if he does something, maybe we will file a motion to vacate the chair, which basically means try to steal the speakership from him. This was a regular occurrence. People They just spoke bluntly. They criticized him all the time. The group that I followed the most was the Freedom Caucus, which is a group of several dozen conservatives. They would actually go around Ryan, Speaker Ryan, to get what they wanted from President Trump. Ryan would say no. So they would go to Donald Trump and say, we want X, Y, and Z. And he would give it to them, even when Ryan said no. So he was a much weaker speaker. And you just sort of contrast that with Pelosi, Where I kid you not, you know, some of the people who have come out for impeachment gave her a heads up before they did it Hmm. because they didn't want her to be mad. So it's just a very different dynamic, even though a lot of people see the number 70 and think that that's a lot of House Democrats who support impeachment. They're not pushing nearly as hard as a group of 70 Republicans would have pushed on Ryan. And because of that, the impeachment movement, they've got a lot further to go if they're really going to get there uh, if they ever do. Well, let's talk a little bit about impeachment and sort of how Nancy Pelosi's style is manifesting when it comes to this big question of are we going to undertake this massive operation? I guess I want to start with 
what does the polling say about impeachment right now? Because you mentioned that public sentiment is really important to Nancy Pelosi. But it seems to me like the polling on impeachment is kind of all over the place. It's all over the place for Democrats. Most of the polls show that Democratic support is increasing. However, that's not the poll set of polls that Pelosi is looking at. She is looking at the entire country and what does the entire country say. And most of the polling on that hasn't changed. It's been very stagnant from before the Mueller report came out, even after the Mueller report came out, when a lot of Democrats thought perhaps we would see a big shift in polling and more people supporting impeachment. So she's looking at those and saying, if the Mueller report can't move people, what is actually going to move people and get them there? And I think that's why in leadership circles, a lot of people don't think they'll ever get to impeachment because if the Mueller report didn't do it, they don't know what will. Why is she looking at those other polls, the ones looking at just everyone in one big mix? Because she knows that in order to keep their majority, Democrats don't just need the votes of the base and fellow Democrats. The reason they have the majority is they were able to convince a bunch of independent-minded voters, even some Republicans, sort of very educated female Republicans, to vote for Democrats and two dozen districts that Trump actually carried in 2016. And those are the districts that they need to keep their majority. Steve Israel, who's a Democrat from New York, he told me a story, I think it was last week or the week before. He's retired now, but he used to run the DCCC. And he was trying to illustrate to me how Pelosi operates. And he said that when he was in the House, Pelosi would call all her leaders into this very barren room whenever they had this major decision to make on something. There would be nothing on the walls except a picture of Abraham Lincoln when he was actually in the House for one term. And she would point to this picture, which would, of course, be right above her head behind her, and say, Abraham Lincoln had it right that public sentiment is everything. And we can't do something until we get the public on board. It's not just a thing, an argument she is making for impeachment. This is how she has sort of operated over the past few decades, was she always feels like if Democrats want to do something, they have to make the case for it first, and then they can do it. And that is always how she's operated. It seems to me that that negates the role of Congress and political leaders in changing public opinion. Don't they have a role here in leading the conversation? So I don't think she disagrees with the fact that Democrats play a role in presenting their case to move public sentiment. That's what she's challenged a lot of these chairmen to do. You know, if you guys want to do this, you got to make the case. But again, I just, you know, you talk to people in leadership who privately say they don't think that any of these pro-impeachment folks are going to be able to change that sentiment. And this is where Democrats had a real problem because, you know, with Watergate and John Dean, you know, he showed up on the Hill. Everybody watches this hearing And all of a sudden, you know, public sentiment is moving because of these big blockbuster moments. The Democrats can't do that because Trump is not letting them. He is ignoring subpoenas or he is telling people to ignore them and asserting executive privilege to keep people like Don McGahn from testifying. And this is why Democrats are getting really angry and frustrated on the Judiciary Committee, because they want to make the case, but they can't. Right. But this week, we will have Hope Hicks testifying. It'll be closed door, but we'll get a transcript afterwards. Do you think those little dutiful hearings are going to do what the more aggressive Dems need them to do? No. No, I don't. And part of that is because Hope Hicks testifying 
behind closed doors and the Democrats releasing a transcript is about the same thing as Robert Mueller putting out his findings in a 400-page report. I mean, people aren't going to read it. Let's be honest here. Americans are busy. They don't have time to read through a Hope Hicks transcript. And this is the same problem that Democrats have had the whole time. They need TV moments. Those are the moments that could potentially change public sentiment but they can't get her to testify in public and they need the, the public to tune in. And that's the only way that the public is actually going to tune in. You've said that the Democratic caucus is sort of slow walking their calls for impeachment. They're not pushing aggressively. They're not doing a lot that, for instance, the Freedom Caucus would have done. Yeah. What would this look like? I'm just wondering for listeners out there who are like, what what do I need to be looking for in my members to know that they're actually pushing? What would that actually look like? Sure. So first of all, what it doesn't look like. I approached Maxine Waters, who is a she's the chair of the finance financial services committee. She has been out, out there saying she supports impeachment for, I think, two years now. I said to her, what about Pelosi? Do you think she needs to get on board with this? And her response was, I respect Nancy Pelosi. She's got to take care of the whole caucus. This is just my opinion. Now, if Maxine Waters was a Freedom Caucus member, she would say something along the lines of, Nancy Pelosi is wrong. She is putting politics before what is best for this country. She is ignoring our constitutional duty. She needs to change now. There's a huge difference in the type of language we're hearing from the pro-impeachment crowd right now and what we would have seen, you know, the Freedom Caucus do against, say, Speaker Paul Ryan. Same thing with Al Green. He was a Democrat from Texas who forced an impeachment vote last year when the Republicans controlled the House. I've asked him about this. Are you organizing? Are you whipping votes? And he says, no, it's a very personal decision. Everybody's got to come to their own conclusions. And he's not coordinating with anyone either. Nobody really knows what will happen on this. And I've even talked to pro-impeachment Democrats who say, I could be wrong. Maybe Pelosi is right. And I think that that also holds people back a little bit because they don't know if there's going to be this big public blowback that Pelosi is concerned about. And I think that because of that, some of some of them have not been willing to sort of put all the cards on the table or all the chips on the table to, you know, push for this. But saying it's personal, it just seems like it really misunderstands the job. Like, it's not personal. You're a politician. You're elected by people to do the job for them. It's actually not about you at all, really. I mean, I know we all want to get reelected and no one wants to be fired, but it, <laughs> it's personal. It's not really at all. You should come up to the hill and say that to people. <laughs> Rachel, thank you so much for this delightful conversation. Absolutely. Happy to do it. I look forward to listening. Rachel Bade covers Congress for The Washington Post. All right. That's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. We love that you've listened this far. So if you are standing us this hard, make sure you're on Apple Podcasts and subscribed so that you can keep getting the show every day. If you haven't written a rating or a review, do it now because it kind of makes our day. Our moms are watching. All right. Thanks so much. Talk to you tomorrow. 